Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is our Adventure Editor Crafty. Morning. And key contributor, Chesto. 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 This week, we're rounding up everything we know so far about the next generation 300 series Land Cruiser and the all-in brawl surrounding run-out of the outgoing 200 series. That's exciting. We'll discuss a trio <laughs> of recent entries to the Cars Guide garage, and we'll catch up with Tesla's new Techno King, that's his job title, and juvenile tweeter-in-chief in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. But uh, we have something of an alignment of the planets uh, in that our cast for the podcast this week Chesto has been the most prolific generator of Land Cruiser news content in the history of humankind. And, of course, Crafty is Australia's unquestioned and unrivaled Land Cruiser, Sven Gali. Um, he, can, he can make them do things they don't know they can do. That's right. So uh, he's I very I don't even placed. know what that means, but I know it makes me feel uncomfortable <laughs> and yet excited at the same time. Uh-huh. So it's a, it's a what we know so far. Um, wrap of the Land Cruiser 200. So uh, 300, beg your pardon. Spoiler um, alert, we know heaps. <laughs> we know we know heaps. And so, look, Chesto, without further ado, we've got various, um, you know, territory to cover about timing, mm-hmm. about uh, the scale of this new machine, what's going to drive it. Um, take it away. Let's get started. Well, I'll take you back to the very beginning of the LC300 story, and, and that was when news broke out of Japan that it would be offered with two petrol engines, a twin-turbo uh, V6 from a Lexus and then a hybrid version of that same engine. And of course, that got people in Australia very nervous because there was no talk of a diesel. Uh, and worse, you know that we've had petrol land cruisers in the past and in fact, yeah. cut those engines from the lineup because people don't want them, they want a diesel. And there was lots of hand wringing and an outpouring of grief for the demise of the V8 diesel we've got in this country that everybody loves. Look, unfortunately, I can tell you that engine is gone. Uh, it will not appear in the new model. Uh, under any circumstances. However, in better news, we will get a diesel. So about two or three months after that talk of petrol engines, talk of the diesel engine finally broke. We know that it's going to be a 3.3 litre, six-cylinder diesel engine. Uh, For bonus points or top trump cards, it will also appear in other Toyota products, given it's a new engine for the brand. brand. Right. Buy other products, you can look to a GR Hilux to to, to also... And and so, Chesto, it's one turbocharger then? I believe so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So details on that engine, I must admit at this point, are are relatively skinny. Relatively skinny, okay, yeah. We do not know its outputs yet, but we do know that Sean Hanley, who's the sales and marketing chief at Toyota in Australia, and and frankly, just a very big hitter in the Toyota organisation, has promised us hand on heart that it will outperform the current V8 LC200 Land Cruiser in every conceivable way, from capability to power and torque and towing. So everything your current LC200 can do, they promise the new LC300 will do, despite losing a couple of cylinders. So so if it is inferior in any particular aspect, what has Sean Hanley agreed to do? Will he eat his hat or he's going to do the nudie run around the... Yeah? Promise to take a drive with our Land Cruiser Svengali. (laughs) He'll be he'll be thrashed publicly publicly mate in the in the nude. I nice one. 
But in, oh. anyway, so look, very exciting. The car is coming. I'll be honest, there is a lot of uh, pushback from the Land Cruiser community in Australia who love the current car and don't want to change it. And frankly, the sales of that car reflect it. There's a, a real rush on that vehicle. People try to secure one before the new one gets here. But again, yes. I'm going to re revert to Toyota in Australia and say that their argument is that has always been the case with Land Cruiser. And, and, and Crafty, I'm sure you'll remember this as well. Every time they release a new Land Cruiser model, the aficionados go, oh, it's going to be crappy and it right. won't be, it was the one we've got and it won't be able to perform and you're ruining the brand. Then fast forward two years into that model's life cycle and everyone says, well, you can't do another one. This one's the best one we've ever had. Could, could, I, could I, I could draw a line there to the sports car, you know, world and talk yeah. about the Porsche 911. Yeah. But every, everyone thinks the next one's not going to be as good exactly. as the, the one that's around right now. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. We're always going to get our traditionalists, you know, yeah. having a – having a verbal vomit. So, yeah. And look, you know, the, day, the, the cold hard reality is that the day of the V8 engine, if it's not over already, that, that end is fast approaching. So, you know, we're yeah. all going to have to get used to but it. It's, a, it's undeniable though, not to linger too long on the, um, on the current one, but sales of that LC200 have been up um, month on month and year on year. It does feel like people are trying to get in um, and, and buy a V8 Land Cruiser uh, before they can't anymore. So um, it, it kind of a perfect storm there, actually, JC. I definitely, look, they've been up and then up and then up again. In fact, I think this year they're up another 27% or something, which is ridiculous because they had one of their best years in ages last year. So to, to continue that growth this year is pretty impressive. I think 50% of that is definitely people wanting to secure an LC200 while they still can. But mm. it's also that perfect storm of pandemic and lockdown and not being able to travel Domest overseas. Domestic holidays. People yes. looking to go around the country and, and tow something. And, and we all know that. The LC200 is a pretty good option for that. So Prado gotcha. sales are up as well, for example. But um, there's, there's, you know, rumour of alleged jiggery-pokery around the Toyota retail network of um, some pretty handsome prices being asked for yeah. Land Cruisers. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, it's rare for a vehicle to become a collector's edition while it's still on New. sale, essentially. But that, <laughs> still that, on that, a boat. Yeah. There, there are outrageous <laughs> numbers coming out of out of dealerships. And, in fact, off, off uh, car sale websites, you know, like Auto Trader, et cetera, people getting, you know, asking ridiculous prices for LC200s mm -hmm. now. The reason for that, I think, is because it is we, we now have strong evidence out of Japan that the, the bell, if it hasn't told for LC200, you'll hear it ringing shortly yeah. because the new model is set for reveal in April. So we're only a couple of weeks away now from seeing the LC300 in all its glory. In fact, Japanese media are quoting on the record Toyota dealers saying, well, no spec, pricing, launch timing, engine capacities, et cetera. Next yeah. month. So we, weeks away now. Is right. that early, early April, mid-April? What have they? Well, with, what's the indicator? April, my friend. April. <laughs> so long as it's not April one. <laughs> yeah, correct. So then, the, but the flip side of that is, in, in, again, those same dealers in Japan are saying that the only thing the factories are doing now for LC two hundred is completing orders that have already been made. The order books are officially shut on that model. Now we've spoken to Toyota in Australia, who say that's not officially the case here. They won't go on the record and say that the, the books are closed, but. Uh, reading between the lines there, LC200 fans, if you want one in your driveway, make haste because, uh, yeah, if, as I said, if you can still get one now, we don't know yep. how much longer you will be able to get one for. I, I think some dealers are setting up a uh, Mad Max-style uh, Thunderdome cage <laughs> so right that yes. customers can actually have a cage fight to determine who gets the car. That's yes. right. Or just throw big duffel bags of cash at them. That's the other option. That's it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And now the other thing that occurs to me is its size. We, we know that it's going to be a bit larger than an already pretty substantial vehicle. Yes. Um, 
you were got like it's going to be 20, 20 millimeters. Okay, that's not much, but when you're when you're building up a, a big car, it's twenty millimeters longer. Yep. Um, it's it's a fraction wider, just five mil. Um, it's a little lower, twenty millimeters lower, and the wheelbase is creeping up towards three meters. So it's fifty millimeters longer in in the wheelbase. I don't know about you, but whenever I sit next to an, a Land Cruiser two hundred in traffic. I'm just looking up like the sun is about to be blocked. Up. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. already a big thing, um, and it's going to be even bigger. But mate, I actually wrote a story on the new one not so long ago about why it was actually in response to the rush on LC200, and and the story was basically you know what why why are you rushing into this vehicle when before before you've seen the LC300 because there are other things we know about it too. It's going to be it'll ride on the TNGA platform or a version of it, which is has impressed in almost every other iteration Toyota's used it in. In fact, has impressed in every other iteration, not almost. Yep. It will have. It will actually be a modern car, and and like you know, as much as we love the old one, it just isn't. You know, this this one's going to have a big entertainment screen. It's going to have yeah. CarPlay and Android Auto. It's going to have all the safety tech, all the entertainment tech that you expect from a modern car. And at this point, there's no reason to, to suspect that it will be any less capable than the vehicle it replaces. Um, and it's and it will still be powered by a punchy diesel engine, albeit one with two less cylinders. So it will be. I suspect it will be a better all-round car across the board and that that's i mean just to reiterate that's something sean hanley he's been he's been running from that script um for some time now hasn't he and he's he's super confident long time toyota person in australia yeah um and he says that it's an iconic model that will be better in in every possible way and he's 100 percent confident that it's going to be terrific correct in fact i think he said something along the lines of every land cruiser we've ever done has improved the land cruiser story and this one will be no different it will, yeah. it will yeah. re- redefine the benchmarks again but again even if you just take capability out of it if you take towing and everything else just yeah. from an actual driving perspective it's going to be more comfortable more safe or safer more technologically advanced and have better equipment than the car it replaces i mean it's worth at least waiting to see what it is before, exactly before exactly off. that's <laughs> and, true and- and Toyota has been guilty in the past, as we know, of dragging the chain with things uh, in terms of safety and, yeah. you know, multimedia systems and that oh, sort of stuff. Uh, and the thing is, uh, JC, I think what we've all got to remember too is now four-wheel drives, all-wheel drives, SUVs, whatever your phrase, whatever your preferred phrase is, they're all becoming so car-like. And, I yeah. mean, hence, hence the lower, longer, you know, wider. It's going to drive, you know... Uh, even more nicely than the current one, which yes. which drives pretty well. And, and I mean, we've towed big, big, large three-ton caravans with that cruiser with the two hundred uh, and and uh, patrol and all that sort of thing. And and as a towing vehicle, as a towing platform, it's great. Yeah. Yep. But the lower, longer, wider, taller thing, um, it, it sort of goes against the grain of four-wheel drive capability because then you're looking right. at at, at angles like approach departure and ramp breakover angles that sort of thing and even little changes like minor changes in many me- measurement excuse me <coughs> affect the yes you know affect the dimensions and affect yes. how you deal with a tight bush track or steeper terrain and that sort of thing mm. um but like chesto says i mean we're always going to have people upset you know at yep. a new generation of vehicles at a smaller capacity engine yeah. Uh, you know, and and a perception of of you know less power and less torque, even if that's not the case in in pure cold hard figures. Um, it'll be interesting to see further down the track, Chesto, uh, a hybrid 
Like I think yep. uh, that that's another thing people are really itching for is a is a really good, solid, effective, efficient off road hybrid. Yeah, something that yep. you, you know that, with the driving range and crafty because they uh, they have made noises before and in fact they're almost certainly working on diesel hybrids but from your perspective would a petrol hybrid cruiser work in australia would people buy a petrol powered cruiser again if it was a hybrid uh pe people would but i mean the thing at the moment the the problem at the moment we have and again it, it might be a perception thing especially if you if you consider you know if you take on a trip and you consider your your points where you can charge up and that sort of thing Driving range is the big sort of mm. obstacle for people to get over uh, in, a, in a mental sense because they think, well, it's not going to, you know, I'm not going to have somewhere to charge it. I'm only going to be able to go 200, 300 k's. If I'm towing something, you know, I'm going to have to think about a really yeah. close, uh, you know, charge point, somewhere to charge. And I mean, and and that comes with with more infrastructure. And at the moment we just don't have it. And I mean, uh, you know, as well as I do, that that's, that's something um, – that we need to, you know, the government needs to get on top of and, and really expand that network because that at the moment is 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 people sort of... I think it's um, critical you mentioned towing, Crafty, because I know it's very, um, it's close to home for you. You have the, um, the special consignments coming in. I know there's that... Uh, cove where you have deliveries on a regular basis and you have yeah to well that's uh, you know that's on the low low mate as the kids say so just get <laughs> yes. that quiet yes with, with, but, um, with the recreational powders yes that's put that's it this correct. way you need all the towing power that uh, oh yeah of course um, but, but <laughs> toyota is obviously has been for literally decades on a mission to make hybrid mainstream and yep. and now the demand they're reaping the benefits you know people are falling over themselves to buy a hybrid RAV, um, hybrid Corolla, they're, they're all going gangbusters. Um, scaling it up into something like a Land Cruiser seems like a logical next step and yeah. maybe um, is a workaround for those range anxiety things when you're talking full electric. Um, yeah. So it, it would have a lot to recommend it. Yeah. Well, that, that RAV4 hybrid is, is unreal. I mean, that's the only uh, Toyota on the new platform that I've driven and I've taken it uh off-road but it's it's a great thing to drive and on that design platform and 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 you can understand why that is where everything is going but in terms of capability i think um it's it's, it's a deeper issue because you're right. going to have to think about well, where do i compromise do i do i overcome all those compromises in the aftermarket and we've got an awesome aftermarket industry here and they're always ready, you know. They're ready to to jump on a new vehicle, especially a three hundred. I mean, I'm sure they're oh yeah they're they're in early um yeah. uh, uh, you know with their with their they've orders got the blueprints and the yeah. CAD files yeah. and all that yeah. Um, so you know there are compromises you make when you buy a vehicle standard, but then you can easily overcome them and quickly with with the aid of our uh, our wonderful aftermarket industry. So that's not a deal breaker. Uh, I mean, it may be for some. I mean, they may look at it and go, well, it's just a road going. You know, car basically. I'm, I'm not interested. I'll look elsewhere. So right, but I mean, that's an interesting point. You make the road going um, thing, uh, Chesto. There was uh, whispers around a GR version. Yeah. So 
you know, he's the Land Cruiser um, with a road focus 100%, well, not 100%, but uh, well and truly. Uh, what, what's your latest mail on the potential for that? Well, let me throw a couple of one other very important caveat out there for anyone in the queue for LC300, and that is that an April reveal in Japan does not equal an April launch in Australia. No, that's so, true. We, <laughs> that and, is true. To be totally make honest, that abundantly clear. Yeah, yes, Toyota so <laughs> has, has kept yeah, Essentially, what we're saying is Japan is not Australia. Correct. Yes, and, and we will see the car. Yeah. An April again, an April reveal in Japan doesn't necessarily mean an April launch in Japan either. As we know, they tend Toyota. to feed these things out. But I guess the critical point is Toyota in Australia is, has not confirmed when that car will launch. We would suspect once it's revealed, it, it shouldn't be too much longer. Like we would say, I, I would estimate third or fourth quarter this year for an Australian launch because once the car's out there and, and a car is iconic as a Land Cruiser, they're going to want it here as quickly as they can. Um, but yeah, so we, but we don't know that exactly. So if you are in the queue, you might see it next month, but you certainly won't be able to buy it next month. Well, I, I think, I think historically Toyota Australia has had a reasonable voice with the factory As in terms of, yeah, rel- relative to the volumes we sell, you Absolutely. know, America is the big deal, but we get a pretty good hearing. Australia gets a pretty good hearing. It would seem. Mate, there are two. So I was speaking again to Sean Hanley about this. Basically, if you think of a table for every, there's a table for every model. The two biggest seats for Australia, perhaps unsurprisingly, ah. are Hilux and Land Cruiser. Gotcha. Yes. Yes, of course. The brand here. But anyway, GR uh, Land Cruiser. Now, you, you'll know that Australia, we, we do have facilities here to, to, to make those sort of changes to the vehicle. So we make things like, if you remember the Rogue X, uh, sorry, yeah. Rogue X or Rogue Hilux. Yeah. They were Australian builds and designs. And in fact, some of those designs were then taken on internationally, which is pretty cool too. Yeah. Uh, and so what Toyota in Australia is saying is there's absolutely no reason why those same Australian facilities couldn't turn their attention to the new Land Cruiser. Now, yeah. they, would, they, they arguably wouldn't do it initially because they'll, they'll want to bed the car in first and, and get those early sales out of the way. But yes. around a, a sort of midlife, which for a model like Land Cruiser can be anywhere between 10 and 150 years, they they might re-spark, yeah. re-spark some interest by doing some locally locally designed special editions, one of which could include a GR model. Now, unlikely to mean more power because uh, it would re- obviously retain the diesel engine. And with a yeah. car that's off-road focus as the Land Cruiser already, you would suspect it to go more down the, the on-road performance style, suspension changes, those kind of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... All you have to do is look at, in the premium end of the market, the, the rise of um, AMG SUVs, coupe SUVs, all, all of that has, has evolved into a thing. Um, and, yeah, Toyota would be looking at that and, and thinking that there's some potential, and they did Absolutely. do the, the local Rogue and Rugged X and, and all of that stuff. What do you make of that, Crafty? Um, are, we, are we sort of talking about the prospect of a Land Cruiser 300 Rugged X or a Land yeah. Cruiser 300 yeah, Ultimate. Yeah, I'd a, say the prospect's pretty likely, or even I, a GR I, performance type. Yeah, I think you know. I think I think we can just assume so because, like yeah. you said, that's that's just the way the world's going. And I mean, you think you know every time I think that they've, you know, they're sort of fulfilling a niche within a niche within a niche, they come up with another one. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I yeah, they're think, just yeah, stuffing think, each niche. <laughs> each niche. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you know car manufacturers. If if you're not making something for every sort of type of individual and every type of car buyer, yeah, then you're not in the game, are you? And that's no, the, which they're, must they're, be they're filling and, every little sort of pigeonhole. Which has got to be a nightmare from a product planning point of view and from an inventory point of view. When oh, you yeah. think about the the complexity of various brands' model ranges now, you know. Um, 
lots and lots of models, lots and lots of um, variants and trim levels and on it goes. Uh, yes, you can answer all of those niches, but your volume for each of those cars isn't, isn't necessarily enormous. And it just must be a head scratcher from time to time yeah. on what you're ordering, what you're holding in stock, what yeah. the customers want. It's all got to be so complicated. Well, we just we seem to just continuously redefine how much people are willing to pay for things. Too, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I'm being totally honest with you. I'm still staggered at the money some utes command now. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. absolutely. You can virtually sit in a six-figure ute. That was something that was like virtually yeah. unheard of, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. True, yeah. true. Yeah, and we, that, that's the that's the evolution of the ute, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's been profound. And it's uh, and it's a case of for better or worse, Chesto, because I think they range from very superficial things yeah, like stickers absolutely. and a few other sort of uh, you know, seemingly after you know, afterthoughts through to, you know, really well sort of aftermarket spec uh, vehicles, yeah, you know, with yeah. the, with a with a nudge bar and a light bar and uh, you know, things that are uh, you know, proper rock sliders. Uh yeah. Uh, you know, I well, I mean, Crafty, you're you're sitting in front there, in front of Les Hiddens, and I know there was also a a Crafty version of the Land Rover, as a, a short-lived uh, limited <laughs> edition uh, Land Rover Crafty, but they're much sought after in the uh, yeah. Well, the there aftermath. was a built-in uh, there was a built-in beer coaster and, uh, and, and <laughs> an opener. Um, yeah. and, and, and and one with a disco ball, but that was very short-lived. So, <laughs> that was. Yeah. was the, uh, the beer opener was on the driver's side, I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But which, they, they, which, they which, pull, which um, we came up against some legal. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those disco balls are pulling big money on uh, on <laughs> eBay, <laughs> I must say. Yeah. Can, can, I, can I bore you with one more Land Cruiser thing? And I'm, Go I'm, for it. Oh, there's never it. enough Land Cruiser stuff, mate. Not from oh, you, just, no. I'm again kind of parroting Sean, Mr. Hanley here again, but. Yep. His argument is that, and I, an argument I totally support, I must say, is that the idea of measuring performance by cylinder count is, yep. is, is old, it's done. Oh, yeah. It? It's, oh, it's outdated, isn't it? I and mean. if anyone has driven the GR Yaris, for example, <clears throat> it's oh. got a, a tiny little engine the size of a tennis shoe. Three and pots. An yeah. absolute monster. Like, it's unreal. Even, even that kind of thing was unheard of. So whatever yeah. they do with that car, whether it's six cylinders, the twin turbo, the hybrid, yeah, I, I'm very confident it would. Well, think think about Hilux with a four cylinder yeah, um, right. turbo diesel. You know how successful it is in terms of sales and also its performance. It's it's three point five ton, isn't it? The the Hilux now. Uh, I think so. I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure, but I think uh, so. Yeah, braked in a little two point eight four cylinder. So it's yeah. I mean, that's an, another but, prime example. Yeah, but also the thing is, you know, you look at two liters. You look at uh, you know the Everest, the Ranger yeah. Raptor. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. Uh, even things like you know an all-wheel drive, like an Amarok or something like that. Well, they've still, well, there are still question marks over all of those smaller capacity engines in terms of long-term yep. reliability and performance, especially if they're being used as hardcore towing platforms. Uh, you know, on face value, they do really well. Uh, you know, over the short term, and and the anecdotal evidence is that uh, you know even after a couple of years, they're you know they're still good. Good vehicles, nice to drive, yep. comfortable, yep. refined, yeah. And, and the smaller capacity engine is is not a problem. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's good. All right. Well, that's a pretty good uh, rundown on what we know so far, and we also know that things are. Close. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks. That's Jeff. it. Great. Well, thanks, guy. No, the uh, <laughs> um, it would be we're, we're we're still in a bit of a um, not a limbo land, but we're still arm wrestling with uh, YouTube. So. We'll be posting this video uh, to our website. And, of course, the audio podcast continues on as usual. So it'd be great to hear from you um, in terms of whether you're a current 200 series owner, whether you're a prospective 
300 series owner, where you stand um, and what kind of decisions you're making. That'd be uh, great to hear from you. Comments at carsguide.com.au if you want to email us. So um, join well, the conversation. Whether you may have bought uh, Les Hidden's Parenti that's in this photo. Like exactly. There. Or a crafty. Whether you've got yeah. one of the very rare mirror balls. The, uh, uh, the, from the, <laughs> the disco ball edition limited crafty. edition. Disco ball. Yeah, yes. There are only two of them. Which <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. A crafty special edition. I'd like to know what your favourite feature of that vehicle is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Yes, there are some that are best not spoken about uh, during Can't daylight hours. There's, yeah, there's. <laughs> right. Well, from there, that's a really good wrap-up. Thanks heaps, Chesto. And from there, we'll move to our garage. And Crafty, I want mm. you to tell us about this vehicle. Its name sounds like a kind of bonnet drama from uh, out of the BBC. Um, <laughs> tell us about the Avida Bustleton. The Avida um, Bustleton. And well, you've this- been in. Yeah, well, we um, we actually took this away for uh, three or four days of camping. Um, yep. it, uh, it's a motorhome, so it's yeah. it's massive, JC, uh, yep. basically. Not my usual sort of test vehicle, yep. uh, but we had a lot of fun. It turned out to be surprisingly easy to drive and steer around. It's almost eight metres long. Wow. Um, and... Um, and wide, I mean, it's as what, well, it's a motorhome. So, you know... The now, is it is it a motorhome that's kind of... Um, custom from the ground up, or it's based on something. What what what's it built on? They're all well. There are three in the new uh, C series range, and they're all based on um, an Iveco. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, so an Iveco chassis. Yeah. Uh, and that's obviously got the four-cylinder turbo diesel um, engine. Um, and there are three. We had the largest one. Um, Great. The designation is just bear with me. It's C7544SL, and that means wow, that's got a ring to it. That's, that's very. It <laughs> that really catchy. rolls off the tongue. But uh, that's that's the only one of the three where, from the inside of the motorhome, when you're stationary, you can hit a button, and the right hand side of the motorhome oh, extends out. Awesome. It's unreal. It's like wow. something out of the A team. It's incredible. Great. Um, so you right. make sure, obviously, everything on the right-hand side, you're, you're clear because it extends out. Um, yes. I don't know the exact measurements, but probably half a metre or, or something. Or if you don't like your neighbours at the caravan park, you can just extend straight into <laughs> you can You can extend it so it knocks their tent over, which I did. It's, so, it's yeah. Or one of their annoying kids. Make you know, a statement, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but unreal. At, at, at first, when I picked it up, again, it's not my um, you know usual cup of tea, Um but it's got everything on board, and 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 Chesto, you know, I think even you'd be satisfied with the uh, with the facilities on board. It's got a shower and toilet, a toilet at the rear. It's got a double wow. bed inside the motorhome. Awesome! Wow. Nice double bed. Um, the C series are called such because their cab. Uh, sorry, they they are bed over cabin models. So right. there's a double bed over the cabin, but that's really for kids. Can you um, drive it from that double kids. bed, or or you? <laughs> You have well, to, well no, have to but I did with. try. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and unreal. And, I mean, especially in these times when we're all about domestic tourism and, and you know, sort of seeing our own country, which we should be all the time anyway, yeah. um, you know, before you head overseas, I reckon. Um, it is yeah, it is a house on wheels and surprisingly easy to steer around. And you've got to also, I've just got to make mention because there are so many features on it. I'd be right. here for a three-hour podcast. Yeah, yeah. But, but of note, um, it has a microwave. It has uh, a cooker. So you've got um, like an cooker. induction hot plate. Yeah, two, two gas uh, hot plates and an induction hot plate. 
sauna. Um, it's Hot got tub? a fridge freezer, sauna, tennis courts, uh, a gymnasium, um, and, a Pil- and a Pilates studio, which I now, found what, surprising. What, a, yeah. what about though on the freeway, Crafty? Did you did you hit a kind of aero wall where you started to feel the well? Well, the, that's the, the pressure? thing. Yeah, well, that's the thing because my experience, sort of driving motorhomes or spending any time in them, is is extremely limited. Um, okay. But, uh, but no, it, it doesn't feel like uh, a house on wheels. Every now and again, like we went through some high wind areas um, because, uh, because JC, you'd eaten some beans. Beans, before. thank you. I was waiting for no, that. No, we were- <laughs> good, old, boom, good old dad joke. But we went through some high wind areas where the tall side of it, I think it's, uh, again, bear with me, it's about three metres high, exterior wow. height. So it yep. would catch a gust of wind every now and again, but nothing, you know, nothing terrible, nothing you know, if, if you've towed a caravan, a, a decent-sized caravan or well, anything like you're, that. You're well-practised to driving up on two wheels anyhow, Craig. That's correct, So if, yeah, if it went yeah, there, you're yeah. fine. So yeah. one hand was on the steering wheel, one hand was was on the disco ball, adjusting that um, for my occupants. Oh, that's good. So so did you, when you went away with the family, did you make camp and stay there for a couple of nights or you moved around as you were on holiday? No, well, we moved around, so but but it's all pretty easy to set up. It's got an awning on the side, so if you're going to stop and stay where you are, you can set up the awning. It's it's pretty easy to set up and put down. Great. Um, the only thing that was a little bit of an issue with this, and again, you get used to it as the days go on, mm. was that it is a big beast, um, right. and if you've got to reverse into a, a tiny spot or you've got to get through a sort of treed area like the campsite we were at was quite heavily treats so the the trees were hanging right over the track um and and the concern is there because it's so tall you're going to collect branches on the way but with a little bit of considered driving and and uh and you know perhaps a chainsaw i didn't say that um you can get through without any without any problem so but we we had a ball i mean i i took my family we all had a ball it's very comfortable um again it's not my cup of tea but i can see i can see a lot of people would would like that that sort of um, three questions without notice crafty question double bed inside is there any other bedding for the rest of the fam there's there's the double bed inside and if you were listening mate um (laughs) there's a there's a bed over the cabin so i got you the the photos will illustrate that to to our listeners second question wasn't listening this might have also been in (laughs) there that's right What's the what's the damage on this bad boy? Oh, I'm glad you asked, and I don't know exactly. Uh, it's about a hundred, I think. In my story, I have said because uh, our our test vehicle had a couple of uh, additional things that are that are cost extras. Uh, yep. But it starts at about 170, 170 oh. grand. Yep. Um, ours, I think, crept up to a little bit over one ninety grand. But to but to get the full details, Chester, you'll, I'm, I'm sure oh, you'll read my, my yarn at Cars Guide. But then but you've I, got I the, the so optional. So not cheap, not cheap at all, but but it's all there. And, I mean, but, you can free camp. Um, it's got gas on board. You've got a couple of gas okay. bottles. That's cool. Um, it, it's got a battery of its own, obviously, um, yeah. as well as the battery for the vehicle. Um, and you can adjust, uh, you know, you can select which power source you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use the gas for cooking um, and uh, and you've got hot water and all that hot sort of water. stuff. Hot water, yeah, yeah. You've got awesome. grey water tanks, you've got a water tank um, and all that sort of stuff. So, And as I found out, it's quite easy to empty the, the toilet canister. I was a bit worried about, you know, getting mm. splashed with uh, with stuff, but um, no. And it's, it's all... Um, 
you know, again, I can see the appeal of something like this. Um, you know unreal. how it's, um, it's frowned upon to return, and I guess a peek behind the curtain for all the listeners, we, we, we obviously take press cars. That's how we get access to all these vehicles. And it's a bit uncouth to return a press car empty or dirty or anything like that. Yes. yes. Is, it, is it equally uncouth to return this thing with a full <laughs> canister? Is that frowned upon? <laughs> Well, I didn't. I just. I just thought it was. Yeah, it was. It was a bit of a common courtesy. So, I, thought, I, so yeah. I emptied. Yeah, I emptied it before I went. And we also we also cleaned it and stuff like that. It's a bit. Di- I will say it's a bit difficult to keep clean because you're obviously right. you know kids are traipsing yeah, off yeah, the beach yeah. and and if yeah. there's a bit of rain then there's wet grass and all that sort of stuff yeah. in. So yeah. it's one of those things. Um, but well, uh, I mean, your family's half feral anyway, Craft. Well, that's I mean, right. You'd no, be no, bringing the, in uh, well, the carcass to kind of well, um, butcher it after you've. <laughs> You've been well, the, out there. Well, the kids wouldn't sleep inside. They didn't see the point of sleeping inside somewhere dry and comfortable. So I, I put them outside. <laughs> Good man. Okay. okay. Mate, la- last question before we move off this. Last story. question, question three. I, mean, I bloody love these things, so I am genius. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've always wanted to go across the states in one. Hence the reason I'm asking all these questions. The uh, what about that little four cylinder engine? This thing must weigh several tons, surely multiple, multiple tons. How does uh, the engine go dragging it around? Yeah, it does. It's um, it's got a, I don't know the curb weight, Chesto, uh, but it's got a GVM of four and a half ton, um, yep. and All it right. can tow three and a half. But yeah, it's not it's not insubstantial. Like you and you and you feel its weight um, every now and again. But otherwise, you know, it, it, it's pretty easy to steer around. Um, it's got plenty of uh, you know, the throttle response is pretty good. Really, um, right. yeah, it's pretty. I mean, the Iveco, um. That it's built on, on which it's built, sorry, um, is is a good thing. So you throw that on top. And the thing is, Ivita really take care in in sorting out, you know, everything on board and the finer details and the construction is top notch, you know, the build quality and the fit and finish. So you can see where the money goes. It is a lot of money, but you can see where every every dollar goes. Gotcha. Cool. All right. That's brilliant. Thank you, Crafty. Sounded amazing. So um, we shall move on uh, to yourself, Chesto. Yes. And you have been in something rather different, not quite as commodious, no double beds here, but um, <laughs> no. you've, you've been with it for some time. Yeah, so I spent the last three months with it, actually, and, and if yours is eight metres, this thing's about eight centimetres. This is the, the Ford Puma. <laughs> right. And, and just, I, I guess, a tiny bit of background first on the world of SUVs. There, there was once a time not so long ago when SUVs basically came in three sizes, small, medium, and large, but of course, the proliferation of SUVs across the board has caused us to create even more categories for it. So, this is a small SUV, so small it can't even be classified as a small SUV. It's in the section below it, which we officially call light SUVs, which is like tiny little hatchbacks with a minuscule amount of extra ride height to, yep. enough to justify. Also, uh, reduced salt and a, a lighter taste. That's correct. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. Light, it's a light right. SUV. Slightly lower in sodium. If I'm That's right. Um, so this, I was in the Ford Puma ST line, and i got to say it's one of those vehicles that I, I really do think is unfairly overlooked in this category. So the light SUV category is basically dominated at the moment by the CX-3, which, yep. to, give, to give you an example, in the first two months of 2021, they 1300, exam, 1,300 examples of the CX-3 were sold. Next in the next is the Yaris Cross, which is only a fairly new model, as you know. They sold 541. Mm. Then the Hyundai Venue, 443. And then way down the line is the Ford Puma, Puma. which sold around 200, in fact, less than 200. Wow. For, and that's for the first three months? First two months. First, first, sorry, first two months of the year. 
Yeah, correct. That's right. We haven't finished March yet. No, no, no. So, so long story uh, yeah. short, it, it's not a huge seller, and I really think unfairly so. It's not a perfect car by any stretch of the imagination. It's a tiny little three-cylinder engine, um, dual dual clutch gearbox. It can feel a bit jerky when you're driving at slow speeds. But mm. the thing I really love about this car is it is not in any way boring, and that is an allegation you really can level at a lot of cars in that segment, and in fact, in the small SUV segment above it. It's not boring to look at. It looks cool and sporty and kind of swollen arches and bulges everywhere, and a bit like Crafty in a swimsuit, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> bulges in all the right places. You yeah, well, Crafty's latest nickname is Arnie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was just bulgy. Yeah. Uh, yes, but perhaps even more important, it's not boring to drive. So many of these things do feel like an appliance on the road. This does not. It's really engaging. It, when you try to drive it slowly, it can be a bit annoying, but when you drive it with a bit of gusto, which is how I think it was engineered, okay. it's actually a really rewarding drive. The steering's great. The, the ride and handling's actually really good. The engine, despite being tiny, never feels pokey, and it kind of encourages you to get up it a little bit, which I, right. I know is really fun. Downsides? Well, the back seat is ridiculous. You you cannot fit anything even approaching an adult human. Three across the back is impossible. Right, right, right. It, it's got dogs of, in there, Chester. Dog was no problem. Very yeah. short legs on the no. corgi, happily. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yes, they're hardworking legs too. You know, for every human, yeah, yeah, those yeah, corgis, right. they've got to take a lot of steps. <laughs> it actually, looks like it's hovering when it's going. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I spent some time in the backseat, of course, to test it. I also squeezed some people I didn't like back there as well. Nice. And, and the truth is that, like, even though your knees don't touch the seat in front, even though your head doesn't quite touch the roof line, there is this undenying, undeniable feeling of claustrophobia in the back, which isn't great. Yeah. The other question mark is it isn't cheap. So as you know, there's a lot of really affordable metal in the light SUV category. The Puma starts at about 30 grand, which is wow. uh, which is a lot of ask for a car in that segment. You get a lot of stuff, yep. don't get me wrong, but still a lot of money to find. The one I had was about 32 and a half, and then it tops out with the uh, ST Line V, I think. Anyway, All right. top, tops out at about 35K. So in that segment, yep. that's that's fairly expensive. Um, considering you know you can get into a venue, for example, for peanuts. So yes, um, so not not cheap, not large, but it is not boring either. It's interesting you mentioned the driver, you know, engagement aspect, Chesto, because the one we're not getting so far, but you know, you never know. Yeah, um, is the ST yeah. uh, version of the Puma, which has been getting really positive reviews in in other markets, but so far not for us. Yeah, and look, it's that kind of SUV, and uh, you know, I, you have got to air quote the term SUV. We spent so much time talking about the Land Cruiser, this ain't that. Right. But, it, but yeah. it, you can feel that it's kind of set up for that kind of performance. It, it's low to the ground. It's got. It feels like it's got a wheel at each corner. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the, all the things that don't make it a true SUV are the same things that would make it a pretty handy front drive sports car. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Well, that's cool. And you were. Um, Waving it goodbye. So uh, the actually, three months have come to an end. I've just waved it goodbye. I made sure I emptied the toilet tank on the way back. <laughs> well, I, I think the technical term is glove box. I'm not sure. That's right. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. Yes. Not normally a removable Ooh. item, but uh, no, that's no, no. That's well. Talk about, talk about uh, ham water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But, like, you know, it's wireless charging and all, and all this sort of mod cons you might expect. Yeah. The only thing I, that I don't like about it that, that always annoys me is that, um, in fact, there's a few quirks, as I said. It can be feel a bit jerky. Back seat's tiny. Boot space actually isn't bad. But it's fabric seats, you know, and I, and I do think right. that if I'm spending, you know, upwards of 32K on a car, I, I want some options on the seat coverings. I, I don't want okay. seats. I even yep. I'll take pleather seats. 
or as they call it, vegan leather now. Uh, but yeah, fabric seats feels a bit cheaper. I, I, yes, vinyl. I remember yeah. when uh, when <laughs> yes. um, uh, Mercedes Benz, the name for its artificial leather, used to be MB Tex. Yeah. And uh, Mercedes Benz sent out a Christmas card asking people to donate for the fun to save the precious resources of wild MB Texes out there on the. <laughs> On the tundra that were, you know, the the stocks were dwindling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, vinyl, vinyl, uh, synthetic leather is yeah. just as tough and often looks just as good. I and and so. leather is increasingly becoming a controversial material. You know, um, with which to upholster that. a car. Yeah. When I first started in this business, they, people used to really turn their nose up at pleather seats. It was like mm. one of the, it was a real cheap out thing. Yeah. And you can just imagine the look of joy on the automotive marketer's face when they realized they could call it vegan leather and charge more than actual leather. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, it's not Great leather, point. it's vegan leather. Vegan leather. Yes. Yeah. Yes, car shoppers come in. I saw yeah, yeah, you yeah. coming. I saw you coming. <laughs> yeah, um, right. All right. Well, that's great. Thank you, Chesto. I'll uh, finish off with the Skoda Scala, which is the car I've been driving this week. It's the 110 TSI Monte Carlo. Very exotic. Um, a little uh, roulette wheel. In- no, no, there's no roulette wheel in the back. Say, and- biscuit. Biscuit, yeah. The dice was running, they were running hot. Um, it's a 1.5 litre turbo four, 110 kilowatts, 250 newton metres. So it's turbo. So th- that that torque is available from just 1,500 revs up to 3,500. So you're getting peak torque in that sweet zone uh, there. Seven-speed dual clutch. It's front-wheel drive. So this Monte Carlo version is 33,390 drive away. So, you know, really you're talking about a $30,000 car that's been put on the road, no more to pay. Yep. I thought, as is typical with Skoda, it's a very thoughtful design, a lot of practical features, you know, the whole simply clever thing. Mm. But uh, there's nets. You open up the cargo area and there yeah. are retaining nets everywhere. And that's just so handy, I've got to say, um, to, to help keep things under control. Mm. Capable. It rides nicely. Um, it, it looks okay. That's always a subjective call. It has these um, angular uh, lights and a, and a pretty cool treatment of the rear glass over the hatch door where it just finishes in this very clean line. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Monte Carlo treatment, treatment's a bit racy. You get some blacked out bits here and there. And the boot, aside from the nets, is, is pretty big. Um, this, this Monte Carlo pack, it's 18s. You get the black pack, sports seats. It has this really big fixed glass roof, which is always lovely. Um, LED headlights, you get dual zone climate, smart key, adaptive suspension. So lots of lots of gear in there. Overall, though, at the end of the week with the car, I just felt kind of uninspired. Um, is the is the kindest way to put it? The dual clutch could be a little more refined. It was a bit clunky, particularly at lower speeds. I'd say it's not it's not bad. It's not good. It was just capable. Um, uh, so if that's if that's what you're after, a lot of those very helpful practical bits and pieces around the car. It's easy to live way live within that regard. But as a car, I just found it fairly plain. Would be yeah, my take on it. It sounds this this uh, this is gonna. I don't mean this to sound mean because it's not a bad thing. But there there are certain cars that are like a pair of stilettos, and there are per, certain cars that are like a pair of sensible shoes. You're you right. You've got to decide which end of that spectrum you're at. Yes, there, there is a counter. I know where Crafty sits on that. Yes, yes. Yeah. There is a counter argument to all of that, though. That actually, in a long term. Sensible shoes aren't bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're more comfortable. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yes, probably the better option. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, um, that's very well said. Um, all right, well, that's our garage. 
Thank you, guys. We'll quickly cover off feedback from last week. And we were talking about electric cars. And in fact, we'd plucked out the top five that we thought were the most interesting and worthy to talk about mm-hmm. by coming here either this year or very pretty soon after. Very um, exciting. It is. There's a lot on. Like we had a laundry list um, mm-hmm. of different cars and we, we picked out the top ones. And G-Man said, thank you for talking about electric cars. You could sense his relief. Um, Australia, we're so far behind the rest of the world. I'm scared of not getting any electric cars at all. Um, but I think he, you can rest assured, G-Man, that um, there is going to be far greater choice uh, in the very near term. Um, Mal was talking about driving the e-tron, particularly with the camera um, side mirrors. Mm-hmm. And he was um, not a fan and made that plain in the podcast last week. And Hammer Rock says, look, come on, Mal. Everything new, for safety or not, can require a period of getting used to it. Um, especially if it's replacing something we've been using pretty much unchanged for a century yeah. um, or more. So that's that's interesting. And he talked about, you know, when seatbelts were made mandatory, he wasn't necessarily a part of that. Quick but, counter uh, but, sorry. but Sorry? Two-second counter-argument. Hammer, you know I love you. Your feedback's always more than welcome. But on, on this, I'm 100% with Mal. I, I remember right. the first time I drove, uh, was it the Velar or the Evoque maybe from the Range right. Rover when they had done away with the uh, reversing mirror and replaced it with a camera? Yep. The, the, it's a great idea. And in theory, the, it should work wonderfully, but the tech just isn't fast enough yet. It's not right. a true live representation. And when, okay. you're, when you're reversing into a spot, for example, or you're about to change lanes, you really need that to be a live display of what's happening out the window. There can be no okay. lag. And at that's the moment, good. I just don't think the tech's there. All right. That's very good. I mean, the, the analogy Hammer made in terms of adoption was seatbelts. And I'm with him. I do remember, I did just a bit of online digging and it reminded me that seatbelts in Australia became mandatory, first of all, in Victoria in 1970. And then... Within around 12 months, every state and territory had followed. But I reckon the mistake that was made at that point, actually, was that front seat belts were made mandatory, but not in the rear. And that set up this kind of psychology where people thought that it was more important to wear your seat belts in the front than the back. Oh, it's okay. We're in the back, um, which was yeah. a bit of a bummer. And I do remember giving my brother a set of seat belts for his birthday, and he looked at me as if I'd stabbed him. <laughs> Um, because, you know, what are you, what are you doing to me? You're taking away my freedom. Um, so, I'm, yeah. I'm with him. That is an ordinary present. That's a, oh, the equivalent was, of giving your wife a new iron or something. It's not going to be well received. Mate, I was caring about his safety um, and his well-being. Uh, anyway, so thank you, Hammer. Fair call and good feedback, Chesto. He also added in that when he first saw a photo of the Ionic, uh, Ionic 5 uh, Hyundai EV, he absolutely thought it was a golf concept um, that the resemblance is uncanny. And I'm not sure whether he had tongue in cheek as in Hyundai may have taken some inspiration um, from the golf or whether it is genuinely uncanny, but I think he's right. It does have overtones of Volkswagen about it. And John Paul Cavellan finishes it off with a dig at Mal. Uh, Mal had driven the e-tron and he gave us chapter and verse on it. And um, uh, John Paul says, what's going on with Malcolm's review of the Audi e-tron? I thought I was listening to a thank you speech at the Logies. <laughs> I, I didn't know when we were going to get to the point. I, I could have recharged my Tesla within that time. Jeez. Um, so, geez, he's having a red hot go at Mel. But um, Mel, Mel you know, has never met a fact that he doesn't like. No. So he, he wanted to make sure that everybody knew everything about his experience with that car. So, But thank you for your feedback, John Paul. 
Um, and now, talking about people who are deserving of awards, it's time for Muskwatch. 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 Right, so first of all, some of you may have heard of this thing called an NFT. Now, NFTs are a, a kind of an online, digital, like a digital asset, and it stands for non-fungible tokens. Uh, and they're authenticated by blockchain, which certifies their originality and ownership. It's, a, it's another world. I am not part of it. Mate. Don't know what you're talking about, JC. Yeah, okay, let's move on. So, the, no, but, <laughs> but then <laughs> apparently their popularity has exploded during the pandemic as people have just got all this time to kill and they've jumped online. And they're spending enormous sums of money on these things. So anyway, Elon um, has made this animation and a, um, a song. And he's gone on Twitter and said, I'm selling this song about NFTs as an NFT. And it's just this shite piece of techno junk music with an animation. And then he's followed up later on saying, actually, doesn't feel quite right selling this. We'll pass. So as I mentioned earlier in the show, according to Reuters, his, his title now at Tesla is Techno King of yeah. Tesla. Um, and they've made the finance chief, Zachary Kirkhorn, master of coin because they've been buying such um, large amounts of cryptocurrency. It's actually a reasonably big part of the Tesla business is all of this crypto stuff. And to give you an idea of the scale of this NFT, um, a buyer of a US $70 million, so that's about $90 million Australian dollars, digital-only artwork uh, was named last week by auction house Christie's as a crypto asset investor who goes by the pseudonym MetaCoven. So this thing that he bought for $90 million Australian dollars is a, a, a kind of collage work online by this guy called Beeple. And it's just each day this guy had a project where he created a different artwork and posted it up. And now this guy's bought it for $90 million. Thank you, Moses. Unbelievable. But anyway, what are we doing wrong? I don't know. So, so when, <laughs> when Elon had this really weird animation up for sale, Kane came in and said, I offer you two cups of coffee and an off-road ride in my 1995 Bronco. <laughs> Actually included a picture of his Bronco. So I thought yeah. that was a pretty, pretty solid offer. Yeah. And then Have Aliens Arrive said, I'm selling the reversed version of Elon's song. He's selling about NFTs as an NFT. And then Budget Blast said, I'm selling a screenshot of someone's reverse version NFT of Elon Musk's song about <laughs> NFTs as an NFT as an NFT. Oh. So it's, um, it's getting some traction, but people are also taking oh, the mickey boy. out of it, which I think is uh, well-deserved. The scariest thing about all of that they made is, is all this talk of NFTs and blockchains and all that sort of stuff doesn't go away soon. I'm actually going to have to learn what they all are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to it. No, that's right. No. That's right. Now, can, we, um, can we wrap this up so I can go do an NFT, whatever to, that is, and, uh, and to get and a couple of mil? Attach the blockchain <laughs> to your engine yeah, uh, exactly. hauler yeah, in yeah. the garage. That's the only blockchain <laughs> yes, I know. That's right, yeah. Um, now, surprise, surprise, Elon Musk has been sued, oh. and he's, he's, he's over-tweeting in violation of this deal that he made a couple of years ago with the Securities and Exchange Commission in the States about the tweets that he was putting out there materially affecting the share price of Tesla. So he was instructed at the time, you might remember it was, I'm taking the company private, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and funding secured and all that stuff. And it, it absolutely was playing with the share price of Tesla. And the SEC said, you can't do that anymore. 
And in fact, you're going to have to pay, Tesla's got to pay 20 million. You've got to pay 20 million. You can't be chairman anymore. And um, you have to have every tweet that you send out vetted by a legal panel to make sure that it's not going to impact um, the share price of the, of the company. And this person who sued him has said that has absolutely not happened. He's still sending out tweets that shift the share price massively. Um, he cited one example where recently Elon said that he thought that the share price of Tesla was overpriced. And that tweet alone destroyed almost $14 billion of Tesla's market capitalization in a single day. I remember that so, tweet and I thought the same thing. How is this possible? How is he getting away with it? So the really telling point is um, this. Now, this story, I must say, uh, where were we? Came from, oh, oh, I should credit it. We'll put it up um, on the video for people on who are watching us uh, via the video. Musk might have a hard time winning over the Delaware Chancery Court. This is where the um, case is being heard. Um, a Bloomberg Law senior legal analyst said, with all the chances that Musk has been given, it is quite possible that the Chancery Court will have little patience with his latest tweeting adventures. Yeah. So it could be one time where he actually gets another pretty decent slap over the wrist. It'll be really interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the share price, it's $701. And that's up about $33, $34 from last week. It's been pretty stable all week as well. And Forbes says uh, had a story saying why Tesla stock looks set to rally further. So as um, it really went down, and that was partially uh, because the whole share market went down, particularly in the US, but also people were moving out of pandemic mode where they were looking for high growth, pretty volatile stocks to make a quick buck. Now that America is getting vaccinated and, and maybe starting to come out of that, they're going for your more uh, stable, more conservative options. And there was a bit of an overcorrection. The, the Tesla stock went down. Now it seems to be coming back. So Forbes says price rises are a signal of more confidence in demand for the product for Teslas. And Tesla will have new plants in Texas and Berlin this year to meet that demand. Yep. Um, the stock is 20% below where it's been on these recent highs. So it, it may still well be overvalued, but it might come back. President Biden has an agenda about, you know, that, that potentially benefits EV players. Absolutely. And, and yeah. he's had some, some market share gains in China with Tesla after being on, a, on kind of shaky ground. But all that could lead to uh, a rise. So there you go. Interesting. I've made this point before, JC, but if, if we had only just bought some Tesla shares way back when we first started talking about them, no. you know, we'd all have one of Crafty's motorhomes. What was that? What was that movie where the people had gone into their um, their bunker during the Cold War um, in the 1950s and somehow managed to live there forever and then came out, you know, uh, at the turn of the century and they had IBM shares and, and all of these things that had gone <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. through the roof. Um, and they just had them in their in their side drawer. Um, uh, I wasn't going to miss out on uh, IBM shares. No, not not. I missed out on the first round, so that's why I, I sunk all my money into Blockbuster. <laughs> I'm waiting for that. That's right. Really, exactly really right. Good. Yeah, I think there's one. Uh, isn't there a movie made about the last Blockbuster store? I think there's a there's a. Yeah, movie I think there's a doco about it. Yeah. I yeah. think, I, and we still have one video easy. I think in uh, in Perth. I think West Australia. Uh, that's right. That's yeah. right. I think I forget the movie. I think it was called Other People's Money. And there was Danny DeVito who was uh, acquiring some company. He talked about buggy whips. Oh, uh, yeah. Went that, horse. You remember that? Everyone had horses. And then when you're the last buggy whip manufacturer, you become the niche one and everyone wants your product. So if you can hang in there long enough, yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe, maybe you've got a, a business. 
Anyway, look, with that, we have reached the finish line. And I want to say thank you, Crafty. Uh, thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you, Chester. Oh, thank thanks, you. Chester. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. And thanks to our Chief of Chatting, Vibe Manager, and Corporate Wizard, Corporate Wizard, Mr. Pritchard, for his otherworldly production processes. Um, this week, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, I have CDO. It's like OCD, but all the letters are in alphabetical order like they should be. Um, he's wearing Dogecoin pants and corn shoes. Oh, no, yeah, exceptional. No. Yeah. It's a, it's a fetching combination. It is a fetching combination. He always um, looks lovely. He's always the best dressed of all. That's of a great people. word for it too, Crafty. Lovely. Yeah, he looks lovely. Yeah. He looks lovely. Um, let us know your thoughts. You can find Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Love to hear from you. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. Remember, you can normally watch us on YouTube and we'll be back there soon. Uh, but before we go, a young bloke's listening to the radio in the car with his father. Uh, Dad, what music did you like growing up? I was a huge fan of Led Zeppelin, the father replies. Who? The son asks. Yeah, Dad responds. I like them too. <laughs> Goodness me. Uh, oh, oh, God. Right. Good idea. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>